Hey, Scuttlebutt listeners, thank you again so much for joining us. As always, I am Vic. I'm here with Nancy. Hi, everyone. And uh, we're really excited to be welcoming our guest today, the Assistant Chief of Staff for Reserve G1 for 1MEF, Colonel Patty Klopp. Ma'am, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's a thrill to be here. Yeah, this is so cool. And I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to uh, be with us. Um, your story is one that um, I think is very important, one that we've tried to highlight and bring awareness to fairly regularly on the show. Um, it's something that affects me personally um, and affects our country um, as we're dealing with uh, you know, mental health crises and um, veteran suicide more, uh, more directly. Um, but ma'am, uh, the things that you've done, the foundations that you work with, um, I'm really excited to sort of dive in and uh, talk about your story, things that you're doing um, to help bring awareness to the mental health crisis in this country, uh, in particular for veterans. Um, but before we cut in, can we just get sort of a brief intro, or as long as you want, really, uh, sure. the, the microphone's yours, but could you tell us a little about yourself, um, sort of your path, uh, it, your entryway, your journey to the Yellow Footprints and, and becoming a Marine? Um, certainly, be happy to. Um, so currently, I'm a stay-at-home uh, mom. I got two young little boys. Um, you can see I'm pinned down and need reinforcements by these young little boys. <laughs> um, my husband and I, we were a part of a, a unique program in um, called the DAP. Now, in the reserves, they considered that the a, a direct affiliate program where you join from active duty to the reserves. But for my husband and I, we call it the uh, delayed adult program. So we put off adulthood as long as we could. And um, both of us were quite the anomaly. Um, we uh, married later in life, had kids later in life, likely retire later in life, but it's all good. Um, so that uh, keeps me busy. And when I'm not home, I'm still a reservist. As you said, I'm a reserve G1 with one MEF as the assistant chief of staff G1. And I've had five years active duty and the rest reserves. And I'm about to retire May 1st, 2024, with 30 years of total service, five years active duty in the rest reserves. Thank you. That's wow. amazing. That's, That's awesome. amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's I a did story 20. Yeah, I did 20. And um, yeah, 10 more years. That's <laughs> well, I, as like, a honestly. I no, I get it. Trust man. me. All my my close friends, twenty was plenty, and um, I give them a lot of respect and admiration. They earned every red cent, twenty years full time as a reservist. I I feel like I could pace myself, so I can I go hard and put it all out on the table, and then I can retreat and uh, recover, rest, and then you know go back hard again. So um, trust me, I I salute you too. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, and so, for I guess speaking of uh, you know, the delayed adult program, um, <laughs> when you retire out of uniform, will that be it for you then, uh, or will you go back into education, or do you have any? Yeah, no, it's funny you ask. Um, I obviously I'm be at service limitations of 30 years commissioned service for a colonel, but I have um, some high. Um, aspirations that I would love to do junior ROTC at a high school level. I just put in my package. In fact, it's being uh, looked at this Friday 
and I feel really good. Like I feel like I can just almost another calling. I have a lot to offer. Of course, I was a teacher for 16 years and um, was a college athlete. And I was at Paris Island and of course 30 years in the Marine Corps. So I, I feel like um, it like the, you know, kind of the harvest is ripe for me to get in there and, and help young folks um, to shape them to be their best selves, whatever that might look like in their future. But uh, that's that's what I'm looking at. So we'll see. It's too it's early. I don't want to get my hopes uh, set up, but I, I feel a lot of potential there and a lot of tugging in that direction. Good luck with that. That sounds Thank like you. something that would be absolutely perfect for you, something that you're tailor-made to do. Thanks, Nancy. I'm excited, so I hope it works out. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, one of the things that does delay adulthood uh, wearing this uniform <laughs> is we get the uh, the really the, the the honor of sort of commingling amongst generations. Um, and so even without probably trying, you're already sort of um, groomed to uh, reach, uh, you know, reach younger, younger generations, younger folks and mold and mentor and teach because it's just, you know, it's just one of innate parts of the job. It is. And I, I love that. I, I have friends who are like, oh, everybody's so young and I, it's time for me to go. And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm like, I love hanging with the young folks. You know, if I can definitely hang with them physically. Um, but it, it's such a thrill that, you know, I, we have young Marines and I am truly old enough to be their mom. And um, and then all the way up to sergeant, you know, and I'm, I'm still, you know, in sync. And so I, I love it. Um, it keeps me young. And I love the fact that the Marine Corps is generational. It, it's definitely a young person's game, no doubt about it. But, um, you know, if you can hang in there, it just feels good. You know, you got that accountability. Yeah, my back and knees will definitely attest to this. It's a, it's a young person sport for sure. For, <laughs> but, um, for sure, for sure. Um, well, speaking of um, youth and uh, torn ligaments and uh, broken backs, so you were a college athlete. What, uh, what sport? Oh, yes. Um, I was, um, I played soccer um, all through high school, competitive club, and then college. And it's funny you mention that because this weekend is my 30th reunion anniversary since we won nationals my freshman and senior year in college. I'm the same age as uh, Mia Hamm, and we played a bit against, against a lot of Division I schools, um, Chapel Hill, NC State, Virginia, Mercer University, um, Vanderbilt. And so it's going to be exciting. In fact, I'm going to, I was asked to speak and um, I, I'm still writing my speech, but it's a really a dedication to our coach, Becky Burley. She, um, after five years standing up this um, coaching soccer at Barry College, it's a small school in Rome, Georgia. She went to University of Florida and set up that program and uh, they won nationals. So she's very well known in the history of women's sports. And she uh, retired after 32 years. And, um, and so it's gonna be really neat to, uh, you know, be a part of that and celebrate this time together. But <clears throat> one of my goals in my speech is basically explaining um, how soccer and being committed to a sport has certainly transferred to the Marine Corps world and prepared me for success. Yeah, absolutely. I find um, there's so many parallels uh, between um, team sports and obviously, you know, uh, 
uh, military service, um, it just sort of gets ingrained in you that like, yes, I, you know, I can't run and gun this thing. It's not like uh, Call of Duty um, yes. where I could, you know, win the war by myself. Um, so, yeah, I think there's so much there. Again, I think that speaks sort of um, to your education background as well, that I mean, you've just really been in this sort of mentorship role for the vast majority of your life, it seems like. Yeah, no, it's been fantastic. And um, oh, a debt of gratitude to uh, my college, my experience, and um, and Becky Burley, my coach. And, you know, just the little things like time management. If you wanted to play, you got to have good grades, um, focus. And it was a no-thrills mission. We're there to play soccer, win games, no fluff, no drama, no nonsense. And so when I went into the Marine Corps, it wasn't like the first time I got my first butt chewing, <laughs> you know, right, right. Like you get a little tough. And uh, of course, we like to say um, under the ruse of fire in the belly speeches by our coach, you know, keep it light. But uh, but no, it uh, really kept us razor focused, you know, literally and figuratively keep your eye on the ball and focus on, on uh, achieving those objectives. And uh, ma'am, where are you from originally? Um, was the Marine Corps sort of something that was always, um, you know, uh, uh, aspirations for you, or did did you sort of fall into, like, did you uh, the Oso win you over? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yes, I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, my father was. Um, in the Marine Corps in 56 for about three oh, and a wow. half active, active duty years. He was an F-8 Crusader pilot. Um, that aircraft is now retired in the Smithsonian, but basically did everything in Top Gun and then went on to the reserves and retired as a major. In fact, he used to fly out of Andrews there in Maryland. And oh, cool. it, it was neat. Yeah, I, I was a toddler when he retired, so I don't remember his um, service in the Marine Corps, but I would say I am my father's daughter. So I take after him quite a bit, um, same kind of, a lot of similarities between he and I. And um, I remember vividly having this, you know, vision, almost like a calling for myself about the Marine Corps. Um, he was a Pan Am International Air Airlines pilot. So we grew up doing a lot of flying, domestic, international, course playing sports um you know physically fit athletic and then just an adventure uh mindset so i of all the services for me it was marine corps or bus and i was very hesitant so i went to a, a catholic high school you know everyone's we're all you know pretty much uh you know kind of um you know, looking at college. And so I, I definitely had my thoughts about being an um, officer. I came home from my freshman year of college. It was um, Christmas break. And I finally had the nerve to tell my parents that I was joining the Marine Corps. Now, my mom was very supportive, you know, no questions asked. And but my dad was a different story. So I remember it very well. Um, it was so surreal. We're in the back patio area. And I just said, I'm joining the Marine Corps. And he laughed and walked away, and I'm sure he didn't realize what I was getting into or if I could hack it. And um, and I always bring up that story because he was there when I got promoted to colonel, and oh, I cool. was addressing. Yeah, it was really awesome. It was I was teaching at the time, so it was in front of my whole student body, over 700 students, teachers and staff, 
and um, I, we made it a school assembly. And and I said, it's, it's not about recruiting for the military. This is about setting your dreams high, being true to yourself and keeping those naysayers at bay. And I told him about, you know, how my dad laughed when I said I would join the Marine Corps. I said, and today I outrank him by two ranks. And they all laughed. So it felt really good. Yeah. And uh, of course, he was very proud of me and loved visiting me at Paris Island. So um, it, it was just a, a real proud moment. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that. So when you picked up Lieutenant Colonel, did you make him salute you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. And people, um, you know, they always ask, like, how did you do it to Colonel? And it's like, you know, I always go back to the fairy tale story about the herring rabbit and the and the turtle. And I, I mean, I would be first submit. I'm no flash in the pan. You know, I just, you know, you got an assignment. You give it your all, just like you know, on the soccer field, leave nothing off the field. You know, give it your all. Lean into your assignment. And then before, by the time you put your head up, you're like, oh my gosh, look at the time. You're at you know, 20 plus years going on 30. And mm -hmm. um, just like the rabbit, I would see us as uh, young sec lieutenants full of salt and vinegar at the basic school, thinking we're gonna be lifers. And, and uh, one by one over time, everyone gets out and they get, they're doing their own thing and it's all good. Just like um, that rabbit, you know, you get distracted, you rest on your laurels, you kind of get busy and you're, you know, do other things. But the turtle, just one step at a time, you know, and it's like, even if I trip, at least I'm making forward progress, one step at a time. And um, and that's how it was. And uh, so I, um, you know, it's just a lot, I feel not as much as you're gifted in, in skills and talents, although that helps. I think it also goes back to making a decision and it's a commitment that you just think about as a priority almost every day. Yeah, good advice. No, that's is. really good advice. Yeah, I mean, it's it is sort of a slugfest. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it is when you look back, you're like, where did the time go? Yes. Um, yeah, interesting. So here, here, I guess one other aspect of it is you're coming up on uh, on your retirement that I think is is really fascinating. Is and we we talked about sort of this the service being a very much an immersion therapy for cross generational sort of um, relationships, but at the same time, you have seen um, such a or you haven't seen you've experienced such a change in culture. Um, yes, yes. Being a, a '90s kid like me um, coming into the Marine Corps. Um, Things are very different. The landscape is different. The way that I mean, just the appearance uh, when you when you stand in formation is very different. What has that been like for you um, to go into you know to begin your service where you are a just a minuscule percentage of the total force, um, you know, essentially denied um, certain uh, occupational specialties to now mm -hmm. be you know, heading formations where the restrictions are much, much less than what they were when we came mm -hmm. in. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, one, I had thought of this, and I think one of the best things that um, I'll, I'll go back to 
change management. I, I used to teach that course in um, human resources and corporate, and it is so critical. I mean, there's no such thing as being stagnant. If you're going to be stagnant, you're going to expire. You're just not going to be relevant anymore. And that goes with us as individuals, organizations, anything that has life. And so when I think about with the Marine Corps, I find that um, it has changed to be current with the times, but not has changed in its core. So nothing has changed as far as honor, courage, and commitment, but they definitely have been able to um, basically be in sync with the times that are current to be an effective fighting force. So I'll, I'll give my a, example that um, probably resonates the best. When I first joined the Marine Corps, there was only 5% of women in the Marine Corps. We were quite the minority. And um, Paris Island, as you know, it's um, kind of a, it's kind of a grind. I'm just going to admit that, you know, so as a Sears commander, you're on, you know, pretty hard, you know, going on one week, you know, two weeks without a day off, um, just very long, hard days. And uh, I remember vividly um, looking back at my peers, very, very few were married. And if you were married, I mean, none, none of, none of my peers had, had kids. Um, so it was just kind of like, this is the life that, you know, you chose and this is, you know, our role models, you know, as far as, you know, you kind of like implied like you're going to marry the Marine Corps or, or not. And so that was, it was a tough thing. I mean, I'm just being real, but now, again, that was 5%. Now today's Marine Corps is eight and a half to 9%. And I go back to doing my reserve duty and I, I'm just, utterly just um, astounded by the um, basically um, how many more women are serving, but also they are married to another Marine. They have families, you know, they, they are making it happen and they, they really are. And uh, my hat is off to them. I mean, they're making it happen. Um, you know, dual uh, Marines and uh, Marine Corps sounds like they're, they're accommodating to make sure they're co-located um, take care of the kids, whatever that may look like. So that's been just eye-opening. I mean, it's just, you know, something from unheard of, which was kind of unspoken, you didn't talk about it, to something that, hey, you want to retain good people and good talent, you know, we, we want a family. We're not going to just choose, you know, so that's been exciting. And then also one thing that's been bittersweet with me was that when I was at Paris Island, 1996 and 99, it was ingrained in us that we were segregated. So we were um, in boot camp, uh, one of the last few services to stay segregated in boot camp. And we felt strong about that. It was um, important to have a transformation process without distractions. And then once they hit the fleet, they'll be integrated. But as of June 15th of this year, 4th Recruit Training Battalion was deactivated. And oof, that was, uh, we had to grieve, <laughs> you know, it was a grieving process, you know, it was like uh, everything you had known. Um, but then I, this past summer, I attended the Joint Women Leadership Symposium and spoke to um, Marines and we had a candid conversation just saying that now with boot camp being um, integrated, fully integrated, that it, it has definitely um, been proven to show a nice uh, an improvement as far as preparing them for integrated, um, for integrated being in the Fleet Marine Corps. So, for example, um, 
like let's say the male drill instructors, they are more aware with females there to kind of a um, little bit of a check and balances of what they say or things of that nature. So it, across the board, I've seen it that it has been an improvement and um, and this is how we're going to go. So it's been good. But regardless of the changes, again, changes to be current with the times without changing its core. So nothing changes with its ethos, our values, you know, of our two missions, making Marines and winning battles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, shameless plug uh, for our MCA events, but at one of our dinners, um, General Smith had said something um, along lines I thought was very, you know, really profound was that, you know, in this era now of, you know, great power competition, our greatest weapon against our adversaries isn't going to be our stuff or the things that go boom. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Sure, um, sure. But uh, it's going to it's going to be our intellect and our diversity. And so why, and especially as we're looking at recruitment issues and, you know, great comp power competition on the international stage, but I mean, you know, competition here domestically for talent, why would we limit what we can do and who we can pull from and what, what our talent pool is gonna be by throwing these just absolutely, absolutely arcane abstract restrictions on ourselves that are going to hamstring us when it comes time to, you know, to fight. And at the same time, when I'm sitting around a sand table or I'm coming up with an O plan, why would I limit myself to this myopic thinking by a bunch of people who came from the exact same background and had the exact same solo world experience? I need to diversify our thinking and our innovation or else we are absolutely going to lose. Yes. Yes. And I, I have uh, two points just to add to that, so anyone who does their research, you're going to find statistically that when an organization not only is diverse, but values its diversity, that it is a, such a better organization. So thinking out of the box, um, adjusting, improvising, um, the ideas, the synergy, everything, they are just a stronger organization with that diversity. And then second, um, this was an experience I had. I used to lead kind of a road show to teach Oscar training. And Oscar was operational st stress control and readiness. And I was at a squadron and I remember uh, I noticed this uh, female captain who was an aviator. And it, I was just really just, just absolutely impressed. I mean, again, very few aviators, especially um, in combat aircraft. And so um, I got to know, I, I saw her from a distance and I was talking to the XO. I was like, wow, that's that's really impressive. I don't really see any female um, aviators. And what he said was so profound and I never forgot it. He was the XO of the squadron. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, there was so much work to be done that we do not have the luxury to discriminate. If someone is qualified to do the job, you let them do the job and um, you give them, you support them, um, you don't harass them, you don't give them a hard time, but we have so much work to be done that <clears throat> we need all hands on deck to do it and do it right. So I, I thought that was really well said. Yeah, great point. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Um, 
So I guess one of the things uh, that I failed to mention in your intro is that you were also a published author. And <laughs> so, uh, Nancy, do you want to talk a little bit about um, your previous experiences with the, with the Colonel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and thanks for, thanks for being on the show, um, Patty, and also huge appreciation for you uh, reaching out to Leatherneck Magazine to publish your piece in our September issue. Um, and for, for you listeners who haven't read it, go take a look. It's in the September issue. Patty wrote a first-person piece for us that we called The Healing of a Marine. And Patty, you spoke very candidly and very compellingly about your struggle with PTSD. I don't want to put words in your mouth because your words were, were so, as I said, so compelling. Can you talk a little bit about, about that and why you decided to be so public and open about it? Yes. Well, it's funny. Um, as I was preparing for our podcast, um, Vic sent me a question and he said, well, you are just so open and transparent. Are you, are you an open person? And I'm, and I'm thinking like all caps, no, (laughs) not at all. You know, I mean, I have nothing to gain and everything to lose, um, by doing this article as far as any personal gain, you know, I mean, I'm already a minority, you know, I'm a senior officer. I mean, we, there's um, only 22 reserve female colonels in the Marine Corps. And um, and I've always wanted to like, you know, do my job, but kind of behind the scenes, you know, I don't want any any attention. But this was just, a, you know, just a really, um, lack of a better word, just a, um, a divine story in, in many ways. So um, I guess I'll start in the beginning. Um, I deployed to Iraq, and um, when I got back home, that's when I had my first experience with PTSD. So I end up uh, befriending a soccer team who came on base, and they would do cleaning. And like I said, I grew up playing soccer. I played all Marine soccer three seasons. The third season, I got picked up with all armed forces. I played in 10 countries. Again, national champions my freshman, senior year. So um, at this time, again, very early about women being in a combat zone, we weren't really um, encouraged um, or permitted to an extent without a lot of security to go outside the wire. So this soccer team came on base to do sweeping and cleaning and odd jobs. But at lunch, they would play soccer. And I was so excited. My heart was pounding. And I just like, oh, my gosh, you know, I wanted to play so bad. And I thought, oh, I'm going to offend them because, you know, I'm wearing shorts. I'm a female. I'm playing soccer. I don't know Arabic. And it was um, it was just amazing. I quickly got my soccer ball and motion for us to play. They use their shoes to make goals. So they're playing barefoot. And this is like really harsh ground, like a gravel, very painful to play barefoot. But that's that's how they played. And I remember wow. the first play... I intercepted the ball and scored on them. They're like, whoa, and felt like I gained their um, trust and confidence. And I, we played every day hard. I mean, they were very competitive, very good. But I felt very much treated as an equal, like they weren't as if like they would, they would pass it to me. Like it wasn't there like, you know, not, you know, they were hulking a ball or not passing it to me. So we, it was just um, got pictures and played and um, just really established a rapport, which was really special to me because I couldn't go outside the wire and kind of do our um, outreaches with the Iraqi people. 
But then after um, some time, they weren't coming on base and I, I couldn't understand why. And um, finally they came down base and come to find out um, there were sets of brothers on this team. And one of the brothers was paid in US dollars. And as he went to exchange his US dollars to Dinar, he got shot and killed. And um, I had a picture of all of us. So I knew exactly who he was. And it was just devastating and um, really had a hard time. And, and for those who deploy, you know that when things happen that are very tragic, you, you just don't have the time to process it. You know, you got to move on. You got things that are, you know, deadlines and, you know, the day moves on. So um, never really processed that. Um, but the, found out that the um, Iraqi soccer team, because they lost one of their own, were inspired to join the um, Iraqi police. Um, so they were, they did become a coalition with us. So that was a silver lining if there is one. So um, I get home and that's when I had my first bout, I feel of PTSD, finally processing it. Just struggled, really had a lot of pent up anger and rage. And um, like I said, I'm very close to my father, but had a probably my biggest fight in my adult life with my father and didn't see wh where that came from. Just really not me. Let's just say that that it wasn't me. So I did go to counseling and things were better, although I was single at the time. And um, and then another deployment opened up to go to Afghanistan. And the only position that was open um, because I was ready to deploy and we had two raging wars at, at once was right. uh, mortuary, mortuary affairs with um, Second Med Afghanistan. So this was a troop surge under President Obama. And initially we had orders to go to Iraq. So Iraq seemed to be tapering off. So we had the impression, you know, you know, Hopefully we don't work at all, you know, but then it would shift gears. And then we delayed our deployment for four months, four to five, went to Afghanistan. So with the troop surge and then preparing for um, battles and lots of skirmishes, um, we did work. So that was extremely daunting um, to say the least. And um, when my Marines and I had to work, uh, we mourned deeply for our lost ones, our, our fallen brothers, Marines and sailors. And, um, we remember them with reverence, respect, and love and care. Um, so it was a uh, very excruciating um, and um, and daunting to say the least. So preparing a ramp ceremonies um, and what have you. So with that coming home, I, I definitely got um, very much um, blindsided by uh, PTSD and it was at its worst. I mean, everything you can imagine, the uh, signs and symptoms, um, the irritability, the, the nightmares, the um, kind of um, sensitivity to my environment, whether it be weather, noise, uh, loudness, um, and just feeling like my skin is crawling. That's probably the best way I can describe it. And so with that, I knew I had to get help. So I, I did get plugged in with the VA um, pretty much right away. And I was going to these appointments and really going at a, on a regular basis, like um, once or twice a week. And I mean, giving it my all. Um, but it, it was time had moved on and it was like 12 years. And, um, and if you think about it, like I had two young kids. So by the time I had Childcare for my two young boys, you know, drove a half hour, try to, you know, settle myself and get refocused. I remember the therapist was trying to teach me mindfulness. She said, now imagine the air coming out of your nose and hitting your upper lip and 
and she, you know, I get mindfulness now, but at the time, you know, she's going on and it's like, oh, time's up. Our, our session's over. You have, you know, we're done. I was like, oh, and it's like driving home. I was like, like, you know, nothing against her, but I was like, what does the air coming out of my nose have anything to do with being relaxed? You know, I, I didn't right. get the concept of it. And so it was to me like a tease. And, um, but then I had the perfect storm in my life and my father passed away and, uh, coming to terms of being an adult orphan. Um, I was the youngest of four siblings. I had to take care of all the family business. So, um, selling the house and the property and, um, and the estate um, distributing to all the siblings. My brother, um, he has um, really struggles with addiction. So I had to be the trustee of the trust because he couldn't manage money. So it was it was over the top stressful. And then that same fall, I returned to teaching. I took two years off because my second boy was born and teaching was overwhelming. I My classes were um, overpopulated. I had used to have like one class of third grade, about 22, and that doubled. And then we were expected to share the gym with another wow. teacher. It's like 80 third grade students. And that was just one Jeez. of many. I mean, that's one of many examples that uh, I was just ready to lose it. So long story short, um, I was overly stressed and I had to resign from teaching, which was unexpected. And that was the greatest to me, failure in my life because I had thoughts of retiring, but my, I was just, my behavior was out of control. I was overly um, stressed out. So that's when I knew I needed immersion. So the, these, you know, little um, appointments weren't cutting it again, no, no fault of the VA, but you just don't have the time to process and the space and um, to like nurture these new skills. And so I needed immersion without distraction, like really take a hold and traction of these new skills that I needed desperately. So um, it took a while, but um, after a, almost a year, I was accepted to a, a VA treatment in Cincinnati for seven weeks of inpatient treatment. So that was January to March 11th, 2022. And I think about, um, I just had this, like a lot of imagery during treatment about what I went through and my experiences. And so the first one was, you know, when you think about coming home from um, a combat environment um, and trying to reintegrate back home in society, I, I, I just really focus, um, you know, thinking about the story of Old Yeller, you know, so El, Old Yeller, as we know, um, middle school book, you know, it was a domesticated pet, you know, very friendly and, you know, knew what's expected. And, but then it got bitten by something that had rabies. And so with this disease of rabies, the, the dog was foaming at the mouth, snapping. I mean, it just wasn't domesticated anymore. And so the only logical thing that had to be done was to take it out of his misery and, and, and shoot and kill it, you know? And so it's, it, it felt like that. Like I had PTSD was this rabies, you know, and, and how do I get it um, under control and manage? So one of the breakthroughs I had through treatment was understanding what the mind uh, what happens to the mind with PTSD. So the PTSD hijacks a brain, basically. A lot of veterans have an enlarged amygdala, which is, um, you know, that uh, part of your brain that keeps you alive. So yeah. uh, the fight or flight. And so with that, you know, you're just, you're just keeping alive. Your, your brain, your experiences knows trauma 
and and knows life and death and it's doing what it should to keep you alive so that and when i first comprehended that i really lost a lot of uh, my shame that i had about my behavior so it was just a natural cause and effect relationship so i didn't feel so bad um because here i am uh you know, middle-class America, a couple masters, colonel, you know, all these things going for me that I couldn't, but yet I couldn't get my act together, you know? So that was um, very, um, you know, kind of uh, a relief. And then, and then working on my treatment. So at some point I was feeling a lot better. I, I just felt like this dark, ominous cloud was following me wherever I went. And I just really could not shake it. But with treatment and healing, and we did what's called cognitive processing therapy, you know, that ominous cloud finally parted and it was just sunny, clear blue skies. And I felt so good and amazed and um, just amazing. And I remember asking, you know, like having a moment with God and saying, you know, thank you, God. I feel so much better. I really do. I can feel the healing power and uh, your your presence and and your grace and and then the thought had, came to me. I said, you know, I should share this story. It's just been such a powerful experience because I can imagine others are suffering like I was with PTSD. And I thought, no, I better not because I'm still in uniform and I don't want to rock the boat. And there's a stigma, stigma about mental health. And I had all these great excuses. And then it felt like God was just tapping me on the shoulder and said, yeah, nice try, try that again. You're going to share your story. And now that you're in uniform, you're gonna be able to reach a lot of people. And yes, there are others suffering in silence like you are. So that's when I, I just got this great, you know, um, you know, vision and, and really put, you know, paper to pen and uh, started writing my story. And with what I liked, what I should say, what I loved about cognitive processing therapy is that this treatment that I went through was like a sanctuary for warriors with invisible wounds. And so wasn't ever a therapist or a counselor saying, oh, you're screwed up and look at you and your behavior and you know, no, no kind of shame. It was like, okay, let's establish a healthy baseline. And this healthy baseline is what you know living life with joy and contentment looks like. And let's see how we can get to that baseline. So you're kind of doing your own self-discovery and being your own coach to um, figure out stuck points that are keeping you from going to that baseline. And so what you do is, because I have ownership of my behavior, I'm figuring this out, then I get the responsibility to know how I need to do and what I need to do to get to a healthy baseline. So that part I love, and it's an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control. To, to kind of coach myself and realize, you know, this is it folks, you know, you got one life to live, you know, I mean, right. mortality is still hovering around hundred <laughs> percent, right? Yeah. So this is it. So, you know, what are you doing to live your best life today? And for us as veterans, you know, we live in the best country in the world. We know how other places in the world, how they live. And so we of all people should be living that best life because we know how rich it is to be and you know the land of the free home of the brave our civil liberties our freedom of speech um you know i could go on and on <laughs> so what was it i'm really fascinated by this um sort of the progression of your therapy um what uh what turned you on to immersion therapy was this something um that 
uh, were sort of uh, recommended or prescribed by your therapist, or was it something that you had to seek out on your own? It, it was an aha moment. So if I if I'm going to be brutally honest. Um, all my decisions to get help was by me. Like I got plugged in the VA, I got myself a psychiatrist and I got myself a therapist and I went to appointments. So for someone who wants to get better, if someone's pushing, shoving or scratching you in that direction, then, you know, it's not going to be successful. So again, that internal locus control, you have to be proactive and lead your health. Um, but if you, if, if I'm going to be brutally honest, um, I had to resign from teaching unexpectedly because of the stress was so much that uh, this was a school that loved me. This was a school I put in for the freedom, the freedom award. And, um, and before my maternity leave, I took the superintendent and the principals all the way to the Pentagon because they were one of 10 organizations selected for the ESGR, the top highest award there is for um, military service members who are reservists who are absent from their uh, employment. So it was just it was just really difficult um, to be, and this is where I hit rock bottom, escorted out of my building, you know, because I had resigned, you know, and so that's when I like instantly knew, oh, this, um, whatever part-time treatment I'm getting is not working. I need immersion. So it was a real epiphany for me and just feeling like I hit rock bottom that I needed help like in the worst way. So it was, um, you know, just, you know, you learn so much more from your failures and your successes. I mean, if you work hard, you're expected to, to do well, you're expected to be successful. It's like a, you know, one plus one equals two, duh, you know, but right. when you're you know, doing the best you can and then you just hit rock bottom and that failure is so painful, it's like, oh, boy, did I learn a lot. Talk about an education. And what and what about your your family? How I mean, what they were supportive of you of you as you were going through the most difficult period? Yes, my um, I, you know, I would go away for these trips, you know, to Camp Pendleton, but they'd be short, like maybe, you know, no more than three weeks, but this was seven. Um, so, you know, I give my husband and my extended family, my in-laws and my two boys, a lot of credit. And of course, I had a lot of shame about going to PTSD treatment. So I would tell everybody else outside of my inner circle of family that I'm going on a military assignment, which is true. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, they didn't have to know all the details, but that's like, um, you know, that's how hard it was to, you know, answer, you know, to answer your question, am I open? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I did not want anybody to, um, you know, know that I was going away for treatment for PTSD, but to answer your question, yes, my, um, Husband was, you know, holding down the house and two little boys. Um, so, yes, he uh, deserves a lot of credit. So I I'd finished March 11th, 2022, seven weeks. And and so, you know, you, you said you're not an open person and you kept all this pretty quiet. And then, then suddenly you realized that it was important enough to you um, that you, you know, you you wanted to share, you wanted to, to and share you did. I mean, I don't know how much more public you could be than having something printed in a magazine. <laughs> and what has, 
we've talked a little bit about this, you and I already through emails. So I, I kind of know the answer, but for our listeners, tell us about the response you've had from people since you did publish this article. And I know you've um, shared the article through various social media uh, platforms. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, I always find like, you know, you, you're maybe heard of the um, kind of the biblical term, like the truth will set you free, you know, and I never understood that, you know, and um, but now I do. And now I realize that, you know, this PTSD being a mental health stigma was really keeping me down, like really like it was, I gave it so much power, you know, and um, when you give it power, it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's a stigma, you know? And um, so if you um, create that stigma and respect it, you're giving it power over me. And so with um, understanding the truth that, hey, I, I just went through a very difficult deployment. I was exposed to death on multiple uh, occasions that were um, just very, um, you know, very difficult. Uh, and so, you know, if you come to terms with what is um, kind of logical, it's like, well, of course I'm going to respond or my body's going to react and I'm never going to forget that. And so sure. understanding that, you know, what PTSD is and then the truth will set you free is that the truth will, it'll eventually manifest. Everybody has their own truth. You can, you know, kind of subdue it, ignore it, or, um, you know, or pay attention to it, but it will manifest. So for me, now that the truth is out there, it's shocking. Like, I don't really, I don't have any uh, reservations or um, any uh, doubt or, or um, you know, kind of regrets that I wrote this article. I mean, it's just been absolutely liberating. And so since then, um, I posted my article through that um, you all published through Leatherneck on my LinkedIn account. And I didn't think much of it. I thought, you know, LinkedIn, um, I just want to share about my article. I said, yours truly wrote an article about um, PTSD, not thinking much of it, and uh, the link to um, the Leatherneck website. And as of today, it's like um, over 10,800 views. And I, wow. I mean, I'm just shocked. And um, I had uh, a personal um, direct message that was like a long letter, like, you know, just like, oh, no, I, do I get you? So I, I can tell you over and over and over that it's been nothing but a resounding uh, receptive response. And um, I was invited to be the Memorial Day guest speaker and uh, this year on May 29th. And I basically gave my story Afterwards, I had Vietnam veterans um, shaking my hand, not letting go, tears in their eyes, who still say they suffer from PTSD and the nightmares. And I um, and I remember going to Quantico on an assignment, and I end up crossing paths with a sergeant of mine. We were at the hospital liaison, and uh, he's a gunny and he's retired. He's um, doing a civilian position. And he, um, I just started talking to him. I said, you know, I went to PTSD treatment and and um, he shared a little bit about working in the hospital with all the wounded medically evacuated and, and having um, basically secondhand trauma. He couldn't go back in the hospital and his uh, wife would give him a hard time. And I said, yeah, I wrote an article and, um, you know, let me send it to you. So I went back to my room, but then I got sidetracked because I had other work to do. Well, 
before I know it, I was sending him my article and he already responded. And he says, oh my gosh, your article's amazing. I can relate with everything. And I'm thinking, how did you get my article? He ended up Googling my name to find my article mm-hmm. and he read it all by the t- before I could even send it to him. And he's doing great. He, had a, he got um, treatment for alcohol and um, he's going through the VA and he's getting um, like injections and treatment. Um, so it, it's um, really about disarming the stigma, having an open dialogue being, you know, again, the truth, being honest about ourselves and asking ourselves, what are we doing to live our best life today, enjoying contentment? Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, Vic, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, I was just gonna ask, Patty, does that, does that give you, do you feel any pressure to, um, I don't know how really how to say this, is there a pressure that comes with knowing that People are kind of looking to you now for some guidance because you have been open. Uh, no, I'm 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 thrilled to help. That was the purpose of my story. You know, I just felt like it was um again a moment with God where I felt like you know like you know God gave me healing and the and the worst thing I can do is keep this secret to myself. It's been really the best gift of my whole adult life. I can say unequivocally that. I'm a better person today than I ever was, you know, in mind, body, and soul, you know, and I, I talk about in my article, the, the legs of a table and that we really have to focus on all four legs. And it's really the, uh, the spiritual component is part of the resiliency. And that's what keeps us alive. That's our will to live when it comes to war. Um, we, of course, we have our, our emotional, um, mental, that's kind of one leg, social, and then our physical. So physical, we got that down great. You know, tons of fitness centers all over, you know, great, um, easy, easy metrics, you know, our PFTs, our CFTs, but you have to, you have to treat every leg of the table equally because they're all important. And if not, you're, you're wobbly. And if you're wobbly, then you don't have the strong foundation to be your best self every day. And it's something that you have to do every day. It's like a daily discipline, self-love, self-care. You know, what are you doing to take care of yourself? So between, you know, good nutrition, a good night's rest. You know, I like to read my Bible, a devotion, um, and uh, exercise, my relationships, you know, uh, they keep them healthy. Um, So it's one of those you have to do daily. So you think about, let's say, you know, someone puts deodorant on the first day of the week. Well, you're not going to smell clean all week, <laughs> right? right? So, you know, or you eat a big meal, you binge on the food thinking you're going to be full all week. No, no, that's not going to work. It's a daily discipline. So the Marine Corps, we like to call it um, a master in the basics or brilliance in basics. And let's say I, I like to take the fitness center as a good example. You know, if you walk through the fitness center or you're sitting in the fitness center, you're not going to get stronger. You're not going to get faster. You got to do those that hard work, the reps and sets, the skills and drills, you know. And so it's really the hard work that I could not do without the environment of an immersion. I had to get out of the distractions, you know, the throes of motherhood. I'm sure every um, uh, all the adulting you can think of. I'm sure many in the audience can get it. You know, employment. I mean, truly be immersed. And it was such a rich blessing. I, I really was at my best self in every way. Um, we were on the tail end of COVID. So we were kind of on a soft lockdown on the weekend, which was great. 
because of COVID, I didn't have a roommate, which was outstanding. Um, mm-hmm. If I had a uh, roommate, it would be some young thing that I would be old enough to be her mom. And we had to fight over music and all that good stuff and had total <laughs> uh, space and uh, uh, just a total sanctuary and where I just like would write, you know, ch- ch- changing my pain to purpose. And I'm just going to share a story if you don't mind. So I was one week before graduating and um, that Sunday, I received an email from my um, from my a friend from mine that I deployed to Iraq with. So Iraq, I was with six CAG. It was um, September 2005 to April 2006, and it was about a um, fellow Marine officer. And at the time in Iraq, he was a major, and he was out with his team um, doing a foot patrol. He got uh, shot by the enemy, and um, and the bullet went very deep and high into his, um, his uh, basically his stomach groin area, and it was very serious. He got medically evacuated, but it became septic. And um, wow. because of that, they had to flush out his blood and get new blood. So he almost didn't make it, but he was medevaced and um, made it to Bethesda. His uh, wife was very worried. And I got this great picture of him with his four boys around his bed. And um, he made a full recovery. He uh, was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. He stood up the Wounded Warrior Regiment. Uh, so that's back in the time when we stood that up. And he ended up um, moved, uh, with 28 years of total service in the Marine Corps. And he was just um, a, an incredible force of nature. I mean, we loved him. He was infantry, chiseled face, poster child of a Marine, um, just all, all altogether Marines Marine. And so the story was about him that he had passed and he was only 61 years old and didn't make a lot of sense. He also um, found out he had two more children, he had daughters. So he had six kids altogether and his wife and come to find out that he had taken his life. And um, it was utterly devastating because um, I, I, we all felt that he would be the last one to struggle with anything. I mean, again, he was just such a force of nature and just, um, just a real presence about him. He knew several languages, couple masters, retired lieutenant colonel, very decorated uh, marine. He had uh, three deployments: OEF, one OIF, also Operation um, Hope. And so, that was just it, it. Just crushed us to hear that. Um, and so, um, you know, for for what it's worth, you know, I know September is uh, Suicide Awareness Month, and um, you know, we right. it, it just something that really lingers, you know, and it's um, it really critical to be in tune, and that I talk about that truth, being truth and honest with yourself of what you're feeling, what you're going through, and if you're not feeling a hundred percent or really thriving to get that help that you need because you know this is it folks we got one life yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, absolutely i mean between you know the long war uh covid um isolation yes um you the the just the insidiousness of um social media on distancing us obviously um sort of the climate in in our country right now uh politics being extremely divisive there's so many of these stressors that are just coming down on us 
um, so much that um, you know we've we've had some guests on our show, um, and one of the reoccurring themes is is that um, you know the, the the incident itself where you may have experienced trauma obviously is the catalyst, but we have to look at a system of systems, and there's all these things almost like um, you know uh, nuclear technicians go into you know where Geiger counters. Um, you don't know where you're, you don't have that. You don't have a thing on there that is, is measuring your stress levels and, and mm. we all have a limit. And so you, you're not really sure where that is or what your capacity is or any of those things. And so we just have this constant sort of bombardment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And, and very oftentimes it is that person that you think, there, you know, there's no way that that person is going to go that way, or that, mm-hmm. that you know, they're just taking it all in stride. And they're usually the ones who need help the most because they're not the ones that people go to to say, "Hey, are you okay?" Yeah. Because they just seem to be handling it. They're doing well. They're they're doing what they need to do, and oftentimes those are the ones who need the most help because they often take on extra duties. They take on a heavier workload yes. um, because they're successful. That's what people who people turn to. That's um, right. Yes. And they also a lot of times assume the responsibilities. And and you know as marine leaders do, is you know get on my shoulders. I'm going to take us across the finish line. You know the, mm-hmm. to the finish line. Um, and they don't seek the help. And no one asks them, "Do you need something?" Um, and so those are oftentimes the ones who end up becoming. Um, you know, they end up becoming uh, succumbing to their wounds uh, because they are they are just as unaware of their trauma as the rest of us are that they are experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so true, so true. And um, it's trying to understand um, kind of uh, maybe the life pattern where you know, for someone who's a combat veteran, they get home and, um, you know, they might have a young family or starting on fa- young family, they're starting a new career. I mean, they're, they're busy. I mean, they got lots of irons in the fire. Uh, but we find out that it's later in life where they're op- uh, empty nesters and then they retire. And then they've never maybe processed this trauma and they're home and it's the four walls and their thoughts, you know, and it just really can uh, kind of get the best of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, ma'am, I so appreciate your generosity with your time. Um, this has been really great. Um, what's what's next for you? What's sort of on the horizon? I know you're working for a few or working with a few nonprofits. Um, you've yes. got retirement uh, come on the horizon. Uh, yeah, what's next? Yeah, uh, thank you for asking. Um, yes, so I want to cross that finish line strong at... Um, about to retire, so spring 2024, be 30 years total service. Um, I am an advisor for a organization called Freedom Fitness America. It's a nonprofit, and we implement total force fitness uh, to prepare military service men and women to be fit for the fight and life, um, specifically physically, mentally, and spiritually prepared for the violence of combat and to excel in tac- tackling obstacles in everyday life. So I provided you my website. Also, my story is on that. So for those who want to read my full story, um, that's there. And then another project I'm starting 
is there's uh, myself and two other ladies with military backgrounds. We want to um, stand up a all women veterans kind of organization or group. Um, you know, there's so many, um, so many for men, or I say uh, majority of men. So VFW, American Legion, Marine Corps League, and um, come to find out that women veterans have an extremely high percent of suicide rate. So there was um, they, um, like 250% higher, 2.5 times higher rate for female veterans compared to US civilian adult women. This was taken in 2014 by the VA and suicide rates are double that of the male. And that was in 2001 to 2014. And so with that, we just want a support group where uh, female veterans can meet and um, collaborate and enjoy some camaraderie and connection, you know, kind of be a resource for mental health as well as um, enjoying events and activities. And then also for me, that's the one part that I, I'm lacking is sustainment. So just like I talked about, you can't just be a one and done with your treatment, you know, it's sustainment. So, and we've had just really, as women veterans, just these um, unique experiences that are just um, almost eccentric compared to society. So it's really hard to find connection uh, with uh, folks that are like-minded and similar backgrounds. So that's the intent is uh, to kind of get together. So it's called a she force vets only and i'm very excited about that um so that's kind of on the agenda and um very excited what a great idea thank you and is there is there a link or anything for uh she force vets only or is that still in the uh in the no, beta it's, phase? Still, it's still in the works um and okay. it's um uh, you know, right now looking at Northern Illinois, but the actual, the main parent organization is She Force. So if anybody went on Facebook and said She Force, one word, and Ninth Fold, you'll find our organization. It's a Facebook as well as a website. And um, from there, we're going to break off into the, a, sub, a subgroup where She Force is all are women, but it's women vets plus their friends and family. So a holistic support group. But this one's going to be strictly women vets. So it's She Force Vets Only, and it's through um, Allen Force. And they are ones that um, do what's called Healthy Minds, Healthy Bodies. They help veterans in uh, communities um, who may have a disability rating to stay connected and active. So it's, it's all for really good um, support reasons. Great awesome. resources yeah, that sounds for people. A great endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, ma'am, um, this has been so great. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, we'll definitely uh, post these links in the show description once we uh, once this episode airs. Um, but this has been uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story, uh, for allowing our listeners to um, you know, sort of take in some of your wisdom uh, through your path. Uh, you know, one of the great things about sharing stories is um we you know those behind us don't have to you know blaze the same trail and hopefully mm. um yes. our listeners have learned uh as much from you in this time that we've had as we have um in being with you so thank you so much for highlighting some of these things helping to bring awareness um to the mental health crisis in america um in particular for veterans so uh thank you so much i can't i can't uh, 
articulate my appreciation enough. Well, thank you. It's been a real honor. I really do appreciate this invitation. Um, so thank you so much for letting me share my story. Uh, God bless and Semper Fidelis. All right. Thank you and, so and, much. And I just want to say uh, in closing, Patty, thank you so much again for coming on the show, sharing your story, but for, for uh, writing about it in Leatherneck. And I hope that you will keep us posted on um, what's going on with you and, and your latest endeavors. Stay in touch. Wonderful. Sounds great. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. Bye, ma'am. Thank you. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Shooting, but you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.